Hi, this is Dee, and you're listening to my podcast, Let Me Clear My Throat. Um, on tonight's episode, I want to touch base on something that is actually all more common, I think, than what people may realize. However, I believe that there is uh, a tremendous amount of different levels, if you will, because everybody handles things differently, um, and different factors obviously play important roles and parts in the healing process, but also um, different ways of coping and um, surviving uh, not only life, but the loss of life and the loss of certain things in your life that affect who you are, how you react, and honestly, um, what keeps you going and striving for and, and believing in. And I have I've talked um, before on some of my other podcasts about things that I have been through and um, different experiences and stuff. And, and I've said before, you know, um, to me there's a difference between um, being sad and grieving. And um, there are certain people that know all too well what it is to mourn the loss of somebody and be sad. Um, however, when you take it a step further, even deeper, grief. Grief, to me, is love with nowhere to go. And um, it pretty much, to me, sums it up. And I, and I don't say that in a passive way. Because when somebody loves somebody so intensely and it's so much a part of their life or has made such a big impact on, on their life and who they are, um, knowing that that person or not necessarily a person really, it could be anything that is makes such an impact in your life and losing that, um, it's like you're losing a part of you. And separating away from that and when somebody loves something and truly loves it um, or loves a person losing that is a, an emotion that is so uh, it's indescribable really it, it, to me it is because like I said everybody handles it differently on different levels and if grief is not handled well, maybe that's not the way I want to word I want to use for that. Um, grief can get the death of you. It can literally kill you. And people, I've heard people say, um, you know, um, you need to just get over it, or um, you need to just, um, you know, you're still grieving, or you know. Um, are you know are they on a pity party are they just wanting attention um you, you know and and it's not it's not even that at all actually that's that's not even fair that's not even fair for somebody to say to somebody and it's definitely not accurate you don't just get over losing somebody you don't just get over mourning the loss of somebody who's made such an impact of who you are in your life. It's a human being or it's an important um, moment or a scenario or something that has actually been a part of this world and you don't just get over things like that. And 
I feel like, and I could be wrong, but this is my opinion, people that say things like that have been fortunate enough to not be at the level that they're trying to understand. And honestly, with all due respect, if you're seeing things like that, you don't understand that level. And you need to actually be thankful for that. But that doesn't mean that you won't come to a point in your life where you won't face that level. And I have printed out some information um, about grieving, about grief. Um, and honestly, <laughs> it actually was kind of an educational process for me as well. Um, because I didn't realize there were so many levels of grief. Or not, le not necessarily levels, categories. <laughs> categories of grief. Um, different types of grief. And I, um, I have recently started um, therapy not so long ago, which I spoke about, um, getting through a lot of things in my life. And I have been through um, some dark tunnels. <laughs> um, I have fallen hard into the abyss of darkness in my life and my journey uh, where I'm at today. And I wear scars on the inside and outside of who I am. And, um, I have come a long way in my life and I am, I honestly am very proud of myself and, um, I have been teaching myself, um, how to undo a lot of damage that has been done to me over the years. But, you know, I was, it kind of came to me, um, I was, I was, Actually, I was kind of talking to somebody. I was talking to my counselor, but I was also talking to myself um, prior to this. And I was just relaying this to them um, because we had, had spoke about some obvious some things on where I'm at and how I'm getting where I'm getting in my goals and stuff. And how, um, where do I see myself and how have I gotten to the point where I'm at now? I'm trying to reteach myself. And, you know, I'm in the er early stages of learning how to uh, relive and regrow and reflourish and blossom and, and however you want to word it. And I basically told them, I look at myself, I'm, I'm teaching myself. And right now I'm in preschool. But it's a start. And... Um, there is no right or wrong way to deal with such levels of life and trauma that somebody goes through. Because everybody deals and handles things differently. And I will say, I have learned a lot. <laughs> um, trial and error, but also... Um, standing on the edge of falling off of a metaphorical cliff. And I honestly believe I was I was on that edge. And I have talked about before how, you know, I was uh, I classify myself as a surviving suicidal victim. And um I was reading this uh, page um, in this group that I was a, I'm a part of, and they were talking about um, 
different levels of things that they, you know, sobriety and things that they've overcome. And, and they said something about they are, I forget how, how long frame it was, um, a survival of self-harm. And I responded back and I said, I have never, never thought of it that way. And I used to self-harm myself, and I've talked about that. I used to look up ways on how to die, how to kill myself. Um, I've also um, have self-mutilated myself, um, some unintentionally, but I actually used to uh, punch myself in the face. I would hit myself. I would... Um, look in the mirror and I would call myself names. I would put myself down. Um, I would belittle myself. And when you get to a certain point in your life where people have said things so much to you over the years of your life, it ends up becoming a part of your identity and you don't even realize it. And you take on this identity of who you see as your reflection that eventually you don't even really look at your own self anymore. You look at the fabrication of what everybody has made your reflection look like. And so learning to actually look at the person that you are as a person, as you Look in your own eyes, through your own eyes, through your own vision, and look at you and tell yourself what you see, not what everybody else has made you believe you see or has made you think you are or made you believe you look like. What do you see? What would you tell somebody else that had come up to you and felt or was enduring the same level that you were, what would be your advice to them? How would you look at them? However you look at them and the advice that you give to them is a good place to start on how you need to look at yourself and where you need to be in positive ways. But at the same time, that's easier said than done. And I have talked... I've spoken before about how I, I believe everybody's got multiple personalities and that's because we have to switch gears on who we are to handle, you know, different scenarios, different things in our life. You know, you got the parent, the mother, the child, the cook, the employee, you know, the, um, the maid, the provider, the mechanic, However you want to, how, whatever area you want to think of, each particular category, if you will, of your life, you have to switch gears on a personality to be be that certain um, person or representation of whatever it is that you're going to switch gears into. But I know also, too, that there are different parts of people that have to cope with different levels of pain, negativity, trauma, and sometimes your your personality, you have to have a personality that is your survivor, and they are your protector. They are the ones that protect you, help you to survive, help you get through the emotions of life, and if that, and, and this is what I told my therapist, I have come to the terms that I have myself 
I have taught, I've spoke to myself and I have come to terms with myself that I have to look at me differently. I have to talk to me differently. I have to treat me differently. And the person, the personality that has been protecting me, the personality that has been surviving, and the personality that has been the dominant one for so many years, because it just seemed like one moment after another that that particular personality of mine had to be dominant because that was the only option that was going on. So for years and years, this personality had to be the dominant one because none of the other ones knew what the hell to do. So the one that was dominant as a survivor has soaked up and endured so much pain and heartache, they were tired. And they wanted the pain to stop. They'd had enough. They wanted it to end. They didn't want to die. They just wanted the pain to stop. And so that 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 personality, that level of me, didn't know what else to do. And it was getting hurt and it was lashing out. And it was self-harming and mutilating and degrading. And it was wanting to just stop it all. So then what happens? How do you get past that? I had to talk with myself to say, hey, wait a minute. What we're doing is not working because we're going to die. We're hanging on the edge of a cliff here and we are going to die if we even sneeze the wrong way because we're going to slip and it's just going to be done. And the only way for that level of surviving personalities to survive and get through and rebuild themselves, rebuild me, is to come to terms with, we need to heal. And the only way to do it is I need to help the dominant personality heal. Because that's the personality of pain. That's the personality of grief. That's the personality of coping and, and loss and trauma and devastation and heartache and tears and tears and tears. And so many tears of oceans I've cried. I, needed, I need that personality to heal. So I have come to terms with that level of personality. And I, and I told my, my therapist, um, we are friends now. I am friends with my dominant personality of pain. And I am trying to help guide myself and guide my surviving dominant personality And bring back life into me. I am trying to save my own life. And that may sound silly to some people. But for me it's working. 
for me, it's working. Why? How do I know that? Because I am a surviving, suicidal, self-harm-inflicting victim. And I use the word surviving because I am. And in order for me to survive, my dominant surviving mental personality, if you will, is not self-inflicting. It is not trying to kill me, is not trying to harm me, is not belittling me. Matter of fact, it's doing the opposite now. Now it's encouraging me. Now it's helping me find coping mechanisms. Now it's helping me look at myself and actually seeing my own reflection. And for the first time in my life, and I told my counselor this, and I had not said this to anybody except myself and God. And I told my counselor, I said, I've never said this to anybody but myself and God, but I'm going to tell you. For the, and I'm going to tell you all now. For the first time in my life, I don't want to die. I don't want to die on purpose or any other way right now. I've got too much to do. I've got too much I want to accomplish. I got too many people I want to help in this world. I got too many things I want to do and places I want to go and things I want to see. And I was so busy letting go of me to hold on to everybody else. I was falling. I was the one falling. And I was grieving not only all the trauma in my life and everything I was going through. But I was grieving the loss of myself. And I saw this posting one time. Instead of everything in your life that you have lost, what is the biggest tragic loss you've ever endured? Without hesitating, I replied back, myself. Myself. And I... Um, I have spoke about how this time of year is really, really hard on me. Um, but it's, there are so many people that are going through things on different levels that sometimes they feel like, <clears throat> their own breath suffocates them. And, um, I don't wish that level on nobody. I, I, I truly don't. And um, I'm going to go over, I know we're already 20 minutes into this, but um, I want to go over these nine different types of grief. And so I know I have uh, an allowance of, I think, two hours on this podcast to record. Um, and I'm not going to say it's going to be two hours, but I don't know. And if you all know me, I, I have the gift of gab. But I, I had told um, I had told my counselor, I said, you know, I was trying to teach myself and think about um, where exactly at are my strong points and what, how can I take my, um, my level and make things differently. 
And so I said to myself, uh, I said, you know, I need to figure out what is my biggest trauma, my biggest heartache, my biggest um, level of demise, if you will. And whatever that is, I need to find that and turn it into my strength. I have to take my my biggest weaknesses that I have, my biggest traumas, my biggest um, deadly parts of me, and regenerate them in a positive way to make them my strong points. And he says, well, what is that, basically? Grief. Grief is my biggest huge spotlight that shines so bright on me, I cannot see any other direction. But now I'm wearing reflectors. And I'm looking in the mirror. And I'm trying to see different ways. But I'm trying to take that and, I guess, make it on the flip side, if you will, to turn it into something positive. And that is, I'm I'm a person that just I love I love to help people. I I I help people more than I help myself, and I'm working on that. <laughs> uh, like I said, I have let go of me to hold on to other people, and I'm working on that. I'm starting to take care of myself. I've been going to the doctor. I've been going to counseling. I'm I'm getting ready to start physical therapy. I've I have 26 teeth and four wisdom teeth pulled out of my mouth, and I got dentures now. I've been to the eye doctor. I've got a freckle in my left eye that they're keeping an eye on. Um, you know, I'm taking medication. I have PTSD, OCD, bipolar, um, OMG, WTF. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they're, they're all there. Um, but people think anxiety and depression and, and grief are just words. And maybe to some people they are. But to other people, it's a matter of life and death. Literally. And um, like I said, I'm going to read over these. Um, and if I don't finish all this, obviously I'm going to, I've got several things I want to go over with this category uh, concern. Because I don't really think that this level, um, or this, not this level, this particular subject um, needs to be um, passive. Um, because... This is such a huge part of life. Grief is life. But grief is also death. In my opinion. And it has been the border. And if you look at the word grief. And I just I just thought of this just now. So if it sounds cheesy, I apologize. But this just popped in my head. You know, G-R-I-E-F. If you come to the middle, you got G-R and E-F. And if you come to the middle, there's the letter I. I. You have to think about you. And to me, that's very true. Because if you forget about you, Um, 
I just pray that you don't. And if you do, I hope you find a way. Um, I hope you find a way to not fall off that edge. But we're going to go over these. Um, and hopefully these will help you. Um, so there are some coping mechanisms in here and stuff. So, okay. So we're just going to get started. Um, so according to psychcentral.com, there are nine different types of grief. This was written by um, a woman named Hope Gillette on December 19th, 2022. Um, it says, grief is a natural response to losing something you value. But there are many circumstances of loss beyond the death of a loved one, and therefore many types of grief. When something is important to you, be it a person, a place, a pet, an object, its disappearance from your life can provoke a sense of loss. This void left behind is associated with feelings of grief, a mourning for what used to be. Grief is an individual process, and why various staged models of grief exist to help us understand the concept clearly, there is no wrong way to process a loss of any kind. And it has number one, abrupt grief. Abrupt grief, a form of common grief, can occur when any sudden or unexpected loss occurs. <clears throat> Um, some types can be such as a job loss, death, relationship breakup, or any other form of loss that comes as a total shock and unexpected. Now, how do you manage something like this? It says abrupt grief, also known as traumatic grief, can happen anywhere at any time. It's okay to step away from whatever you're doing and allow yourself to experience the sudden emotions you may be experiencing. It may be best to avoid driving until you have had a few moments to process the information. Maybe calling a trusted family member or a friend for immediate support can help you. Now, I have spoke about this before in a different podcast. When you get in a certain level of mentality of survival of your mind and your your emotions, that's easier said than done. Um, when your level of mental um, pain and anguish and survival mode and um, a feeling of not knowing where to put your feelings, how to deal with your feelings, knowing how to take your next breath without it choking you, um, when you get to that level, and you're in that state of mind, thinking rationally is not always um, a given. Saying, oh, I'll just call you if, I, you know, if I'm feeling like this or I'm just going to go do this um, when I'm feeling like this. That's not always the case. Because when your mind is altered, when your pain is so severe, when you are in that darkness, your rationality of thinking and reaction are not the same as if you were not in that mode. So saying, um, somebody saying, well, I don't, you know, call me if you need me. And you're like, okay, yeah, I will. And maybe you intended that. But when you get to that level, you don't know how to reach out to anybody. Because you can't even reach yourself. 
and I've spoken before, you know, I, I slept five days in a row one time because I didn't want to, so I wouldn't do what I didn't want to do to myself because I couldn't cope. And I knew that. I was trying to be a smart, non-wanting-to-be suicidal person, but didn't know what else to do person. And um, people are like, you know, so-and-so hasn't called me or, you know, I've reached, I've tried to call them. They don't return my call or, you know, whatever. When you are grieving, when you are depressed, when you are in that level of darkness, it's not about you. It's not about them not wanting to talk to you. It's not about them not reaching out to you. It's not about them trying to hurt you and be mean. It's not about you at all. Matter of fact, they don't even know. Um, it's not even about them. It's, it's about the moment. Because it's about the moment taking over. And when the moment takes over, their mental state of mind, their mental security, their mental rationality does not exist at that moment. So them not picking up the phone and answering it or picking up the phone and calling you or texting you back or answering the door or going to a social party or whatever the case may be, that is not even computable to their state of mind. And it's not that they don't want to. They can't handle it. They don't know how to. And that sounds crazy. I'm sure it does to some. But if you have been through this, you know where that you know where that level's at. And it's not that simple. And I've said it before. 988 suicide prevention hotline. Very trained professionals. Um can be anonymous if you need to reach out. I'm just going to put that in there now. Um, and also, too, if you're driving, and I am guilty of this in the past, I've had panic attacks. I have had moments where I've cried so hard I couldn't even see to drive. I've had to do the calming technique of the 54321 to calm myself down while I'm driving because I was on the interstate. And I all of a sudden just had this huge attack on me. And I couldn't get over um, because it was like very busy out and it was late at night and I was, you would have thought it was raining out. I was, it was crying. So I was crying so hard. I couldn't even see. And I had to calm myself down and I did the five, four, three, two, one as I was driving and it calmed me down. But I also told my therapist, I had to have a game plan. I had to teach myself to t remember, to remind myself to have a game plan ahead of time of what to do in my scenarios and to also have backup coping mechanisms because depending on the level of the severity of the attack or the moment or the mode or whatever it may be, not every coping, coping mechanism works for that particular moment at that time. So having a backup plan, if you will, is necessary. The other night I was laying in bed. And all of a sudden, I just I had this huge anxiety attack come over me so bad. And I tried to calm myself down mentally. I tried to breathe. And I would t reassure myself, good job calming yourself down. Good job trying to redirect yourself. I, instead of hitting myself like I normally would have in the past, I grabbed my blanket and was squeezing it like a stress ball. 
and I was rocking myself because I rock a lot. I was rocking myself back and forth and I was trying to breathe it out, breathe it out. And then I would say to myself, good job coming down. Good job not hurting yourself. Good job not hitting yourself. Uh, you know, look at you calming yourself down. Breathe, take a deep breath. And I would try to subconsciously talk to myself. And occasionally I would talk out loud to myself. But then on a different night, I had another panic attack, another anxiety mode. That wasn't working for me. So I'm saying to myself, okay, we're going to lay here and we're going to go through this or we're going to have to change our scenery. We need to get up and go get some air. And it was late. It was like 1 o'clock in the morning. But I knew I was not going to go to sleep. I, I had to get past that moment. I got up, opened the front door, went out on the front porch, took a deep breath, stood out there in the cold, and stayed out there for, I don't know, a couple minutes maybe, trying to breathe some air, gathered myself, came in and went to sleep. I had to calm myself down, but I needed a change of scenery because what was working before wasn't working, so I had to have a backup plan. But it has taken me a long time to get to this point in my life to be able to do that. That is the whole point of where I'm at now today with myself. That is the whole reason why I'm doing these podcasts too. It's not necessarily just for everybody that I'm talking to because I don't know who I'm talking to. Right now I'm just in my craft room looking around. You know, watching squiggly designs. But I know that people hear me. But I hope that people listen to what I'm saying and can feel what I'm saying. But also at the same time can take what I'm saying in a way that helps them as well. Because even if I just help one person, I have made a difference. Even if that one person is me. So that's where I'm at. So abrupt grief is an explanation point of importance. It really is. Second one is prolonged grief. This too, I think, goes with abrupt grief, honestly, in my opinion, because it has been for me. Prolonged grief and is any grief that stays with you long term. It can often interfere with your daily life, and if it reaches a level where there is significantly impairs important areas of function, it may be diagnosed as prolonged grief disorder, also known as complicated grief. Prolonged grief disorder is defined by intense longing and preoccupation with thoughts or memories of a loss. Research from 2021 found it's a condition that tends to present an anxious and depressive avoidance behaviors. Complicated grief can last for months or longer with emotions that look like depression or anxiety, and this makes it difficult to feel like getting out with others or enjoying things you did for fun. How do you manage this? It says resolving prolonged grief may require the guidance of a mental health professional. Prolonged grief-specific con connective um, behavior therapy can help you reduce grief-related thought avoidance, 
while finding new ways to process grief without intense feelings of anxiety, anger, or, or guilt. Kind of goes hand in hand with what I was just saying, actually, because it all intertwines. It, it really all intertwines. Absent grief. The absence of feeling grief when you experience devastating loss is also a form of grief. Absent grief can occur when you're not able to grieve because you are numbed by shock, denial, or dissociation. This can happen if it's death of a sudden or traumatic. Denial is a, a significant contributor to why one may be experienced this type of grief. Also, too, if you can't mourn the loss of somebody. Um, you know, like, for instance, um, I talk about a time where, you know, I lost my, my dad a couple years ago, and I take care of my mom. Um, I have not really fully been able to properly grieve. I don't know if that's even possible. How do you properly grieve somebody? Um, I have not been able to deal with my... Um, I have not been able to deal with losing him. Um, and every time I start to think about it, I have to stop myself. And I was talking to myself um, last night, I believe. I talked to myself a lot. <laughs> and that's okay. But at least this time I'm talking to myself, it's positive stuff. It's not negative. Um... You know, my mom is not in the greatest health, and I watch my mom suffer every day, um, every moment she goes through the motions of being here. She's grieving the loss of a man she was married to uh, for about 40 years, and she's blind, disabled, bedridden. There's more things wrong with her. I could tell you the things that are not wrong with her more than the things that are. Or, you know, be easier to do, I guess. Um, she struggled so difficultly just to be able to get out of bed to go to the bathroom. I help her to get back and forth. I help her get in and out of bed. I bring a tray to her bed for her to eat. She is able to lay on her left side only. She can't sit up. Um, it hurts. She can't move. She can't hardly walk. Um, I have to guide her to walk. Um, and when she's uh, very, very weak, because if not, she'll fall. Because she um, is losing the use, losing the, the use of her legs. Um... My mom and I used to do everything together back in the day. Uh, we used to own a business together. We, and when we weren't together, we were on the phone together. We did all kinds. I mean, we were really close. When I married my second husband, my mom was my matron of honor. Um, my mom went blind in 2012. And um, a big part of me has lost my mom. And... I grieve the loss of my mom, even though she's still here, and I grieve it on a different level. Um, I need my mom. I need to talk to my mom. I need to go to her. I need to. I need my mom. 
and I don't have that <clears throat> because right now my mom can't handle she can't handle anything outside of that she can't handle anything outside of her life she can barely handle what she's going through um, she can't handle mine and I I know this and this is what was peaking me to get to my level of where I was at on the the edge of the cliff, I guess you could say. Um, I would go out to my camper. I have a camper in the back. When I would take my feelings out there. Because I didn't want my feelings to be on my mom. I didn't want them to be, uh, her to be exposed around them. I, I didn't want them to be... Um, something she had to listen to or deal with or hear or it wasn't she didn't need it and my camper became so soaked with so much pain it was killing me and my mom has no idea nobody has any idea how close I've been even to the point where I recorded a message to my family. I've been, I've, I've, I was that, I was at that level. <laughs> um, but I was telling myself last night, <clears throat> when the time comes that my mom leaves me, and leaves earth, and goes home, goes to be with my dad and God. And I pray so hard that God holds me very tightly. Because I, I will need him more than ever. And I try not to think about the loss of my dad, I push it away because I'm not strong enough right now to handle it. And when the time comes that my mom goes, and hopefully it's not anytime soon, because it's my mom, I don't want to happen my mom. I hate watching her suffer, but I don't want, I don't want to lose my mom. But when the day comes that she leaves, it will be a double whammy for me. Because reality be, will be so far up in my face. Nothing short of a miracle and God will be able to save me. And I know that. And I am trying to I am trying to, I don't want to say prepare, because you can't prepare. I'm trying to throw some miracle grow on me to help me grow faster, so I could be strong enough to handle that more than what I am at this moment, if that makes sense. To me, it does. Um, I'm not strong enough for that right now. And I know that sounds stupid because nobody's strong enough to lose their parents. Um, but I know that when I lose my mom, I'm going to have to grieve 
my dad at the same time too because they are a package deal. I push the grief of my dad away right now because I put myself full force into my mom, into taking care of her. I have no outside life. Um, I don't go nowhere. I don't do nothing. I very rarely talk to anybody. Um, one of my very, you know, my very best friend I didn't see for like a year um, because I can't leave my mom. And I don't have outside help from, you know, it's, she just has me, basically, um, for, for reasons that are whatever they are. Um, but my grief is absent grief as well as the other ones. So right now I have three of them. <laughs> um, and the next one is, um, delayed grief. So, Hey, there's another one. <laughs> so like I said, they all intertwine. So it says absent grief. How do you manage it? <laughs> when you're experiencing denial, part of the process may be to convince yourself you don't need support or help with grief. You may not be open to facing why grief is absent. If family and friends are urging you to talk to someone or are suggesting they're concerned about your grieving process, it may be worth it to take their advice and seek professional guidance. I understand that. <laughs> Delayed grief. Delayed grief may appear as absent grief at first. But rather than remaining unexpressed, this is a form of grief that can slowly emerge as the weight of loss becomes reality. This can be natural grief cycle for some. Sometimes even knowing the person, relationship, pet, place, or thing is gone can be hard to accept. Kind of like I was saying with my dad, I know he's gone. Be huge reality check for me. I don't need, I don't need anybody to remind me. Um, but I'm delaying, I'm, I'm grieving him. I have moments. I do have moments. I walk by his picture. I, I you know, somebody asked me one time, do you talk to dead people? Yes, I do. <laughs> I talk to lots of dead people that I love. <laughs> um, but I talk to him all the time. Um, or if I do something, I'll be like, I know, I know, I'm getting it, I get it, I can already hear you now, <laughs> you know. Um, so yeah, it's it's there, it's there. How to manage? As part of natural grieving, allowing delayed grief to process may not require any special intervention. But if you feel pent up to it or stuck um, in this stage, small steps towards building loss acceptance like visiting a place you used to go too often within that person with that person um, may help for example I I spoke before about where my dad and I used to work on cars together and um, my starter went out on my car and uh, I went and got all the tools out and um, had the car jacked up and was ready you know change the starter and I sat there and I looked around at all his tools spread out and um, I started crying. I started crying full force. My anxiety was just starting to escalate and I just couldn't handle it. And I put his tool, I put all the tools up, I put everything up, took the car down, 
I went in the house, and Mom's like, oh, try to get it done. I said, no, I'm on, I'm on a union break. <laughs> she said, on a union break? I said, yeah, I'm on a union break, Mom. I, I can't right now. I, I can't. I can't handle it. It hit me like a ton of bricks. And um, three days went by. And I told mom, I said, I'm going to go put the starter in the car. Uh, I've had a long enough union break. I need to get it done. Because um, also, too, I didn't like not having a vehicle in case I needed, you know, emergency for mom or something. Um, so I went back out there, got all the tools back out, jacked the car back up. I was having a difficulty re reaching one of the bolts. And I was like, okay, where's the extension? Where's the ratchet? Um, and, and where's my where's my 10 millimeter? You know, where's this one? Disconnect the battery, blah, 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 blah. And um, I laid under there, and I was looking up at the starter, and I was having a hell of a time getting my hand up in there. And... Um, I started crying, and I was like, I, I can't do this, <laughs> and um, not too long before he passed away, we had just changed the starter in his van together, he had come over and knocked on my camper, I was sick, and asked me if I could come help him, um, he couldn't get his hand down in there, his hand was too big or whatever, plus he shook a lot, real bad, and um, so I got under there. He was handing me the tools from above and <clears> holding <throat> the flashlight and whatever. And we were just kind of talking, going through it, whatever, and changed the starter. And um, anyway, I was laying under my car. And I took myself back to that moment. And um, I just tuned everything else out. And I could actually I could actually take myself back to when he was there with me. And listening to him direct me with the tools and just us laughing and cutting up and trying to remember how he had his had his hand down in there. And how I had, where I had my hand. Because we had trouble with his bolt. And so I was trying to envision how we did it. And I was like, I was talking to him. And I knew he wasn't there. But I was trying to take myself back to that time with him. And I did it. And I did it. And I got up out of the car and I was like, look at me. I did it. We did it. And um, that was probably one of the hardest things I ever did. So, yeah, taking yourself to a place and getting through it.
is very hard. And if you are able to do that, I applaud you. Because it's a, it's a moment that freezes you in time. And not everybody gets in frozen and keeps going, you know? What metaphorically speaking, I guess. <sighs> Sorry, I'm a sensitive person when I start talking about things because it takes me. This is me. <laughs> this is me. I'm not going to apologize for having. I'm a human being. And I have been through hell and high water. And I am very candid on my podcast. I have broke down crying so many times in my podcast episodes. But this is me. This is life. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. As mom says, I don't sugarcoat things. I'm not Frosted Flakes. <laughs> That's what she says. <laughs> so, <laughs> but this is me. So, um, anyway, I'm going to move on here. <laughs> um, disenfranchised grief. Experience loss can be difficult as it is, but when your loss is stigmatized or degraded by society, it can add a layer of distress known as disenfranchised grief. Now my nose is all runny. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you think it's funny, but it's not. <laughs> Okay, we're not doing comedy. <laughs> All the comedians out of a job, and I'm trying to be one. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, okay, so anyway, finish on here. This is a, this is a grief category I, um, that isn't really highlighted enough. It relates to when your society or culture does not recognize your loss as valid. This can come from a lack of awareness or education around specific topics such as suicide, substance abuse, substance misuse, STDs, leaving a religion or a faith, faith, religious faith, religious faith, and many other topics. So how do you manage it? You may not be able to change your culture or the society. That's, uh, may not be able to change your culture or society that's responsible for your disenfranchised grief, but you can find support networks that uh, empathize with your loss and recognize what you're experiencing. Speaking with a professional in a mental health may be the first step. A therapist can guide you to support opportunities that can help you gain a sense of grief validation, helping spread education and awareness about stigmatized topics may also help with this form of grief. Obviously, society and culture um, <laughs> can be very vicious. And um, people are very judgmental. People are bullies. Um, people are mean. <laughs> um, and it has an impact. And I was saying earlier, you know, I'm trying to undo all my years of life that has made me to the point that I was ready to be done with life. I remember when I was a little girl, way back in the day, 
um, I was probably maybe, gosh, seven, eight years old, maybe. Um, yeah, it had to be like seven or eight. I was laying in bed next to my mom, and we were having a conversation about something. I don't remember. But I used to tell my mom all the time, I wish I could take my head off and shake it out and put it back on. What seven or eight-year-old says that? This one. I had been through so much trauma in my life already at that age. <clears throat> um, that it, it took a big toll on me. And through the years of my life and growing up in society and um, different types of lifestyles and scenarios, um, it's played a very big havoc on my well-being. So this actually, I never realized um, this was a thing. <laughs> really, I, I, I really didn't. So that one's that one's um, that's something. So far, I've got five out of five. <laughs> um, wow. Uh, let's see. Um, so the next one is collective grief. No wonder I'm a mess. <laughs> I'm working on it, though. I'm in preschool. I'm working on it. <laughs> um, collective grief. Sometimes loss can affect a nation, um, people, a culture, or the entire world. The community-level form of grief is known as collective grief. It's an experience common after tragedies like war, mass shootings, hate crimes, violations of human rights, um, things of that nature that basically involve a, a, a multitude of um, people. Maybe the loss of a celebrity, even. Um, this is how to manage. Coming together in groups can be a powerful way to move through collective grief with others sharing the experience. Visuals, memorials, peace, peaceful protests, marches, ceremonies, there's just a few opportunities that can allow you to express your grief. In some situations, such as hate crimes or human rights violations, activism may help you manage collective grief by providing a sense of purpose and just, justice. <clears throat> well, like for instance, 9-11. Um, that's an example, a huge example. Um, climate grief. Um, climate grief and ecological grief, often used interchangeably, are terms used to describe a sense of loss related to the environment. As awareness of environmental concerns grow, it can be natural to feel a sense of loss as ecosystems decline and natural resources are lost. You may also feel a sense of loss um, to climate grief known as, uh, I'm probably going to butcher this word, <sighs> yes I am, Solus, uh, stel, stel, you know what. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just spell it? <laughs> Celestalgia. C O. That is not even a C. That's an S. <laughs> See something. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's try this word again. S O L A S 
T-A-L-G-I-A. So last... Telega. <laughs> you get the point. <laughs> it's known as this word. <laughs> or, or an inmate longing for the good old days when the environment was less manipulated and words were not so complicated. <laughs> I added that last part on. <laughs> goodness gracious. Okay. <laughs> oh, goodness. I'm still wiping my eyes off here. That's Yeah, that's my excuse. I got something in my eye. <laughs> Okay, how to manage. Changing the environment may take generations. That ain't no lie. But you can do your part and possibly diminish feelings of grief by participating in recycling endeavors, joining revisualization efforts, and helping grow environmental awareness. Taking care of the world. Taking care of Earth. You know, we all have different cultures. We all live in different countries, different states, different zip codes. But you know what? We all have one thing in common. The earth is all of ours. Although the government likes to monopolize on it and charges for the air we breathe. No, here nor there. The, the earth, the planet earth belongs to all of us. And if we don't take care of it in every aspect of the area, land, air, sea, the outer space, the belowness, whatever, it all affects our survival. One ripple could take it all away. And I don't care where you're at, the ripple goes across the whole planet because we are all in this together. <clears throat> Secondary loss grief. Grief may have a primary cause, like death of a loved one, but sometimes you experience loss as a result of loss, like having friends or family pull away due to a divorce, death, or a death in the family. Um, and then that's known as a secondary loss. How to manage. You don't need to validate your grief to anyone. I'm going to read that one again. You don't need to validate your grief to anyone. It's okay to feel a sense of loss for the subtle changes that surround a primary loss. And it's okay to grieve for people, for places, and things that may not have been a part of your everyday life. Journaling about your feelings or speaking with a mental health professional can be ways of expressing grief without fear of being judged. I don't journal, but I do write poetry. I have posted a few of my poems and some of my podcasts and read a couple. Um, have a place to put your feelings. Um, but it's very difficult to find a place to put your feelings and to call people and talk to people about things when you feel like somebody is judging you or thinks that you need to hurry up and get over it. And you don't know how to process what you're going through. And you feel like, um, you feel like a failure in the grieving process. And, um, at least I did. And that's, that's sad in itself. Um, anticipatory, 
if I can get my words correct tonight, anticipatory. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Maybe I need to drink some water. Anticipatory. Grief. There we go. <laughs> when you know the inevitable outcome is loss, you may start to feel grief before you actually lose what's important to you. Oh, this is me written all over. This, this type of grief, known as anticipatory grief, look at me go with my bad self, can occur during situations with long-term illness, relationships where divorce has become been looming for years, and other situations where you can see the outcome before it happens. Um, I'm watching somebody die. Um, somebody who's on life support. Somebody who's on hospice. Um, are examples. <clears throat> um, how do you manage? It's never too early to speak with someone about grief. Early intervention by a mental health professional may help. You find ways to manage grief in long-term situations and can help you prepare for the loss when it occurs. You can never prepare um, for what you don't know, <laughs> but the anticipation of having to prepare of what you don't know is overwhelming. Um, <clears throat> tips to cope with grief. While some types of grief may respond to specific interventions like environmental activism, there are some general ways to manage grief in any form. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, that's what we're gonna talk about. Honoring your loss. Finding a way to honor your loss can help bring a sense of closure, closure and peace. Choosing a memento or a routine that holds meaning to you. Many people choose a symbol that is worn uh, on or next to their body. A necklace, an item that a person cherished, maybe a shirt, um, a favorite place to eat. Um, you may find, you may want to adopt a regular routine of doing something that that person did in your daily life. Some people use a prayer, have a drink, um, that maybe the person had or sit in a quiet place that allows you to remember your loved one. Maybe even sit in their chair. Lay on their side of the bed. Um, no, anything. Um, journaling. Expressing grief, especially to someone else, may feel challenging or embarrassing. To help you process what you're feeling, you can try your hand at journaling. Just, um... As a friend, a family member, or a therapist can be there to witness what people experience and their grief, so can uh, witness to yourself. So sometimes it's just a matter of just getting your feelings out. You know, I've, I've spoke before on when I was obviously going through the loss of my grandson and stuff. Um, you know, I was homeless for two and a half years. And I, like I said, I've had scars on my body on the inside and outside. And I've been through hell and high water uh, to get where I'm at today. And, um, I, I talk about it all the time. I know I do this with my mom. Um, three things that I majorly learned in my process of, of my grief and healing. Um, try to try. Sometimes you got to try to try to try. But sometimes you try to do things and you don't achieve it. And you don't want to get sucked in to giving up. So you at least need to try and try to try sometimes and eventually when you try enough eventually you can accomplish that moment sometimes it's just one sometimes it's just opening your eyes 
And they may sound mediocre to some, but that is a huge deal. Um, because there are many people that don't make it that far. So just try to try. Second, remember to breathe. Normal breath and oxygen is, is great. Please keep doing that. But remember to breathe through your anxiety. Breathe through it. Try to find coping mechanisms that work for you. If you have to, try to think of them ahead of time. Trial and error. Try to do your research on what works for you. Um, and I do the 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. I know there's one. It's like the 8 second or um, I, I forget exactly how it is. Um, but there's different coping mechanisms. Try to breathe through your anxiety as much as possible until the change the scenery go outside and get a breath of fresh air change your scenery change the moment change the moment third and very most important I wish I knew but I guess it wouldn't have worked had I known it ahead of time I guess I don't know I, I guess I'll never know what I found to be life-saving find a place to put your feelings if you don't, it will consume you, and it can kill you, and that's no joke. I have a program that I do. I do a lot for the homeless, but we have a thing where we do collection for teddy bears, and we uh, like to dress them up and give them to people that have lost loved ones and stuff. I call it burying it through the holidays, but it's actually burying it through life. Um, I have – I'm – I have a teddy bear I sleep with. My mom has a teddy bear she sleeps with. My stepsister um, has a bear. I have a very close friend. I gave a bear to her. She lost her son to a fentanyl overdose. Um, I had another a couple friends who uh, she lost her fiancé to a heart attack, and the other one lost her dad to a heart attack. Um, having a place to put their feelings and their emotions. Um, my teddy bear is as flat as a pancake. He holds, um, he holds everything, <laughs> um, but he has saved my life, and sometimes when I need a hug, I literally will pick him up, wrap his paws around me, and I will give myself my own bear hug, because I need that comfort at that moment. Um, I've held him, and I've rocked back and forth with him. I've cried on him. I've... I've told him my secrets, I've told him my pains, I've told him my good things. <clears throat> I tell him goodnight before I go to bed, and I know he's a stuffed animal, but he is my, he is, um, he has saved my life. Compliments of my youngest daughter, she bought him for me. Um, but I write poetry, I do crafting, I do my podcast, um, but I help people. And I have found that it has been very helpful for, for me because I am such um, a very, I'm a, a huge giver. I'm very empathetic um, and very, um, I care about people. I don't even need to think of a big word. I care about people. And um, I find my strengths are being there for others. And it, it, helps me. I used to clean crime scenes for a living and people was like, oh my gosh, how'd you like that? I loved it. It's very therapeutic. And they're like, what do you mean therapeutic? How can cleaning crime scenes be therapeutic? Because at the time I was cleaning crime scenes was when my grandson uh, was was killed and 
I had no control over what was going on in my life with him and the scenario. But when I cleaned crime scenes and stuff, I I was supervisor, so I had a level of um, level of contact with the the families and stuff that I actually could be there and and have control of taking that pain away from them for a brief moment so they can take a breath to be able to gather themselves and deal with the loss of their loved one. And that particular moment, they did not have to worry about that part. I had it covered. And my crew had it covered. And so for that moment, I was able to take that pain off of them. And that was very therapeutic for me because I was able to take that level of pain that I knew what it felt like to deal with that those people didn't have to for that moment and I could help them with that um, <clears throat> so setting and keeping boundaries boundaries can uh, help you cope with grief by preventing a sense of overwhelm an example um, if you've gone through a breakup or have um, and have them on social media you can mute their account or delete them or block them um, so they are not actively at the front of your mind amplifying your grief um, or maybe um, not going to places that they go to and um, or you know changing your number and uh, whatever the case may be setting boundaries and and setting limits um, maybe some people move you know move away um, relocate and totally do a whole new um, life change, if you will. Um, grief resources. Uh, if you're experiencing grief and would like more information on mental health resources, obviously a trained mental health representative. Um, you can also, like I said, call 988. Um, suicide and mental health crisis assistant line. Um, you can also call 911. There's treatment centers uh, in your area. You can look them up. Uh, the Center for Complicated Grief, helping children cope with uh, emergency trusted source grief for recovery um, and therapeutic services. These are examples. Um, grief can pay um, a major role to your body. Um, Grief may be considered an emotional state, but it can affect your physical well-being, too. According to uh, 2019 investigating the over overlap of brain circulatory and emotional and physical pain, experts found evidence that can intensity that the intensity of these two experiences is very similar to the body. For example, telling someone to just get, a, get, just get over it. Um, just get over a broken heart might be telling uh, someone to just get over a broken leg. Um, at first, the immediate grief response can be similar to feeling sick. You may experience loss of energy, body aches, headache, upset stomach, poor sleeping. But as grief goes on, um, the impact your body takes can also include a heart attack, cardiovascular disorder, uh, depressed immune, uh, disorder, chronic sleep, increased stress hormones, appetite change, 
cognitive impairment and memory decline, persistent negative thoughts, and suicidal. Grief can also contribute to the development of other mental health uh, challenges such as depression, anxiety, PTSD, and prolonged grief disorder. Grief can be f fatal. In some cases, grief can, um, ca um, can cause a condition known as broken heart syndrome. Um, I said this big long word before I read this, so I'm going to try it again. Clinically, it's called, <laughs> I'm going to probably butcher this name too, Taco Subo. <laughs> I know, I totally butchered that name. Okay, we're going to spell it. <laughs> T-A-K-O-T-S-U-B-O. Taco, Takote Subo. Makes me want to say consume type. Cardiomyopathy. Not going to say that word. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Okay. Why? Anyway, we'll just call it broken heart syndrome, okay? Um, while these exact causes are not well, uh, well understood, broken heart syndrome. See, why couldn't they just do that? Broken heart syndrome is thought to result from a stress hormone hormone surge that causes spasm, spasms in the heart's blood vessels. Broken heart syndrome is a serious heart condition. It isn't always fatal, but can be if not treated properly. Um, again, they talk about coping mechanisms navigating grief to finding your own unique support tools and practices that work for you. Um, managing your grief can um, is different for everyone. Um, you can honor things. I made uh, a memorial, uh, I call it a memory garden actually, a memory garden in honor of my dad. I also have one for my grandfather, and when spring comes, I'm going to make one for my grandson. Um, and then later down the road, when something has my mother, obviously she'll be included in that too. Um, but um, my my dad and my grandson were cremated, so there's no grave plot for them. My grandfather is actually in a cemetery up the road, like a mile away. I actually in the summertime or when the weather's nice, I would walk down there. Uh, a couple times I actually used to lay a blanket down over my grandparents because my grandmother's buried there too and now my uncle's uh, is buried there. But I would lay a blanket down and um, I would actually literally lay there and cry. Um, and I would lay between my grandparents on a blanket. And um, I would go down there and talk to them and stuff. But since I've been taking care of my mother, I can't go for a walk because I can't leave her. So, um, I need a refresh in my grandfather's, uh, memory garden and, um, stuff. So that's my plans this spring to do. Um, so doing something like that helps putting things, keepsakes out there or things that, um, are important factors that remind you, but also a place for you to go to be able to talk to them and, um, process them, but also still include them in your life, even though they're, they're not here. Um, so, and also sharing. Talk about special memories um, of them with others. 
talking about the good times can be a way to revisit positive memories and temporarily interrupt the, the slew of the negative emotions that you feel. Um, it can also help you find support from your family and friends, and it could be a reminder that you're not alone. Often grief is something multiple people are experiencing at once, even though each uh, process is an individual process. So I know like some people, when they go to funerals or whatever, um, you know, they sit around talking, reminiscing and stuff about, um, you know, the person that they've lost and telling the stories. Um, it's, a, it's a good way. You know, just because somebody passes away doesn't mean their name doesn't doesn't deserve to fall out of your mouth. You know, doesn't deserve to be talked about. They were here for a reason, and they made an impact in your life for a reason. And just because they're not here doesn't mean that um, that they're any less important. Keeping short-term goals, it can be natural to fall into the habit of isolation and withdrawal when you're experiencing grief. It is easy to get caught up in withdrawing from life. When you're ready, make a to-do list every day. Having short-term goals can help you feel not so overwhelmed. Small goals can help you focus. Instead of looking at everything you have to do in one day or what future holds, having a list can help you celebrate small accomplishments, even just eating breakfast. Before you know it, your list may get you through the entire day without you feeling like a weight of the world is on your shoulders. That is to try to try. Um, I was reading this thing where this lady was talking about how um, the dishes overwhelmed her. And um, I'm, a, I'm very OCD. And it's overwhelming for me because my life is upside down right now. I sleep on a bed in the living room. My stuff is everywhere. Um, boxed up or whatever. Um, so it, it affects me in a different way. Um, but anyway, I'm the type of person where I clean the kitchen up. I do not want to go to bed with the kitchen a mess. I'm very adamant wiping the counters off. I used to be the type where I don't care if it's three o'clock in the morning, I was doing dishes. But now I have so much responsibility, so much going on with me. I'm in, I'm exhausted. And, um, I look at the dishes like, I see you looking at me, but you're just going to have to just keep looking at me because I'm not touching you. I'm going to bed. <laughs> um, you'll be there tomorrow <laughs> or the next day, or I'll put you in the dishwasher so I don't have to look at you. And on the dishwasher, I actually <laughs> took some vinyl and made a, because I do crafting and stuff. And I wrote a saying on the front of the dishwasher and it says, my di the dishes are looking at me dirty again. Um, so got to have humor in it. But, um, anyway, she was talking about how the dishes were overwhelming. And the therapist was like, put them in the dishwasher. Or just don't, you know, leave them there. And just, you know, even if you do, you know, a little bit at a time. Or, like, you know, when you have to go, like, like if you have something you have to go through, a bunch of stuff or whatever taking steps just to start like I had to go through some of my stuff and reorganize it and find a place for, to put it because I'm redoing one of the rooms here and so I had to reorganize some stuff and it was very overwhelming and I knew the room wasn't as bad as it looked um but it was 
very overwhelming to me. Um, and I just had to start. And that was the biggest thing. Just start. And so in order to keep me motivated, I would move stuff out of that room and put it right in the living room where I was sleeping. So I had to look at it and I had to walk around it and it had to be in my face and it would get on my nerves. And I knew this. So it would keep me motivated to get it finished. And I ended up getting that cleaned up in less than a week. And when I adamantly did it, obviously. Um, but it was taking steps. Now, keeping a list. <laughs> yes, I'm a list person. But if people are like me, you either forget where you put the list. Um, you forget you have a list. Um, the list is in your pocket and you don't get it out because you think you remember what's on the list, but you find out later that you forgot things on the list. Um, so a list doesn't always work for me. <laughs> so, but I am a list person. The list is just not a me person. <laughs> if that makes any sense. It doesn't make sense, but anyway. Okay, moving on. Um, where was I? Being kind to yourself. It's natural to experience grief. There's no wrong way to express emotions or loss. When people around you can't relate to your experience, they may inadvertently make you feel guilty, embarrassed, or shamed for feeling the way you do. It can be important to know what you're feeling is natural. Accept whatever thoughts and feelings you are having, with the exception of self-harm, or harm to others simply means that you are a normal person. Having normal but understandably upsetting reactions to the loss of your loved one. One way to be kind to yourself is through self-care. Eating right, focusing on healthy sleeping habits, remaining active can help your body and mind when healing from grief. Um, sometimes, I don't, okay, so I don't go anywhere because I'm here with my mom. But I will primp, I call it primping, in the bathroom and do my hair and makeup. And I won't go a damn place. But it calms me down. And it used to keep me from going back to bed. I would do my hair and makeup and then I knew I wasn't going to go back to bed because I didn't want to mess up my hair and makeup. I just did it. But then it got to the point where my depression got so bad, I would do my hair and makeup and then go to bed. Um, or I would do my hair and makeup and I would leave like I was going to go somewhere. And then when I, dr I would drive all over the, the city, <laughs> no lie. And I would just drive back, back home and I'd go to bed because I just didn't feel like going out. I changed my mind and I have done that. Now I don't, that I don't go anywhere, I'll do my hair and makeup, um, just because it does calm me down. Um, sometimes. <clears throat> So, just finding a way to cope, different coping things, things that calm you down to help you work through your anxiety. Allowing grief, while staying active can help you work through your grief, as opposed to not allowing yourself time to grieve, make sure you take breaks. Some people try to work literally through their grief, 
which is a type of avoidance. Hold space and make time to grieve. And then it talks again about journaling, expressing your emotions. Um, it's anything, you know, um, having somewhere to put your feelings. Um, letting yourself cry. Tears release oxytocin and endorphins, which relieve physical and psychological pain and helps calm your body. In 2017 review into human phenomenon of weeping found not only did it serve as a self-soothe mechanism through endorphin release, but it also communicated the need, need for support to those around us. Weeping also made had mood stabilizing properties related to emotional release. Now, when I would go out to the camper and I would cry, I would get so overwhelmed in my tears. I couldn't stop crying. And I would start coughing. I felt like I was going to throw up. I would start choking on my own air. <laughs> um, I couldn't breathe. I would bend over, like, try to get air, like, try to gasp for air. Um, and sometimes it was, I would just literally so intense I didn't know how I was going to stop it was that bad um, and sometimes I would do this um, on occasion actually it was actually very um, now looking back it was really something sometimes I would do that so immensely that um, you know I would cry and I would pray and stuff and all of a sudden, I would feel this calm over me. Um, not always, but sometimes I would calm down and I would fall asleep. Um, I have laid in the middle of the floor, bawling my eyes out. Um, my dad passed away in the bathroom. I gave him CPR on the bathroom floor. Um, I have laid on the bathroom floor, bawling my eyes out where he had laid. Um, I've laid on my kitchen floor in my camper, bawling my eyes out. Um, I've laid out in the garden, in the backyard, laid on the ground, bawling my eyes out. <laughs> um, I've walked around the block, bawling my eyes out to the cemetery, driving down my car, not driving down my car, driving down the road in my car, <laughs> um, sitting in the driveway in my car, um, yeah, I haven't been short on tears. <laughs> and I'm a short person, but I haven't been short on tears. Um, when to seek help. There's no wrong amount of time to grieve. I'm going to say that again. For all those in the back that need to hear this. <laughs> there's no wrong amount of time to grieve. Explanation point. Grief isn't... Grief, grief that isn't improving... Or it's impairing your life significantly. Even though time has passed. May be uh, what's known as prolonged grief disorder. Prolonged grief disorder is a clinical diagnosis recognized uh, in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders 5th edition text version. Um, it's a condition that often requires professional guidance to overcome. 
You may often benefit from speaking with a mental health professional if you feel grief coincides, uh, coincides with depression, anxiety, or PTSD symptoms. Um, so basically, we're going to recap this real quick, and then I'm going to give my final thoughts. Recapping. There's no normal way to grieve. No normal form of grief, and there's no um, wrong way, wrong amount of time to grieve. Um, some types of grief may be more complex than others, more long-term, and more require professional guidance to work through. It's a natural. It's natural to grieve loss. Um, if your gr grief feels too intense or long, or is impacting your everyday life in negative ways, please. Talk to somebody. Seek professional help. Um, it's a whirlwind of pain and emotions um, that may make you feel stuck uh, when loss happens. Creating memorials or sharing positive memories may help you to manage your grief. It's okay not to uh, want to focus on managing grief right away. Griefing is an individual process. There's no right or wrong way about it. Um, you can come back from grief. Symbolism, memorials, journaling are just some ways to cope. Everyone's grieving is unique, but over time, grief can negatively impact everybody, um, everything in your body, from your mental health to your immune system to your cardiovascular system. Um, and it is very important to, um, to know that it's normal not to know how to handle it, and you're not, um, you don't have to just get over it. You have to get through it. There's a difference. You have to get through it. You don't get over it. You never get over it. But eventually in time, you'll find a way to live with it, work through it, breathe through it, and occasionally you'll discover that you'll have moments. They'll come in waves. You, they will come in waves. The first year is one of the hardest years of your whole entire being when you lose somebody. But it will come in waves. And it will get, it will eventually get doable. And it's not going to happen overnight. It might not even happen in a, in a couple years. I didn't start doing life again with my grandson's loss for five years, six years. It took me five to six years to do life again. And when I did life again and I did the holiday, I did Christmas, and I was so proud of myself for doing Christmas, I actually did it. Two weeks later, my dad died. Had I not done Christmas, that year, I would have never had another Christmas with him. And 
you know, I had went out on my birthday. I've been trying to take things that are very hard. My birth, my grandson died on my birthday. And for many years, I couldn't do my birthday. And I've been trying to do it where I've been doing positive things um, instead. And um, like on his birthday, for instance, is when I do a major collection of the teddy bears. Um, or like I do, like I said, I do things for the homeless. So I did like a food drive, um, and I did it to where I did the collection day that particular month on his birthday. And so I was trying to take the day that um, was special um, and make it special, um, even though it was marked with pain and heartache and tears. I was trying to uh, reorganize it, if you will, into turning the loss around into something that was positive and happy and beneficial not only for myself but other people as well trying to bring back life into life um but on my birthday i had went to um texas roadhouse and i got dressed and i went by myself i spent my birthday by myself i went out on my own and i went to texas roadhouse and i got my table and I sat there, and the waitress come over, and uh, she said, oh, you look really pretty tonight. I was like, thank you, it's my birthday. And she said, oh, happy birthday. And she started talking to me. She sat down, <laughs> started talking to me. And um, kind of find out, um, this was in January. January 23rd was my birthday. Um, her daughter had just died in December, December 13th from an overdose and um, she didn't even know how to breathe anymore um, she didn't know how to cope she didn't know what to do um, she's just going through the motions of being here she said and her and I had a very lengthy conversation we um, exchanged phone numbers became friends on Facebook um, and I told her, I said, you have my number. And I said, I'm going to tell you this. I said, if you get in that dark place, if at all possible, please try to be strong enough to plan ahead of time to pick up that phone and call me. And I will, I will breathe through it with you. And um, I said, one thing that I do want to say to you, and I ex explained to her about the way going through waves and all that. I said one thing that I did that I regret, but there's no there's no instruction manual, if you will, on how to cope with loss and grief, and nobody handles it the right way. There's no right way to handle it. <laughs> um, but one thing I did, and I told her, I said, do you have a wife and, or not a wife, I said, do you have a husband and kids? Well, wife too, but, you know, I said, do you have a husband and kids? Or mar are you married and have children? And she said, uh, yeah. I said, the one thing I will tell you so strongly that I wish I was strong enough to do, that I regret, don't forget them. Don't forget them. They are still alive. Do your holidays. Do your special occasions. Do your moments. Make your memories. Take your pictures. 
Remember they're grieving. Remember they're still here. They still are alive. They still need you. I was grieving so in depth. I didn't do holidays. I didn't do moments. I didn't do pictures. I didn't do special occasions. I didn't do life. And my youngest daughter suffered because she didn't have her mom. She lost her mom. She was taking care of me, trying to keep me alive. And she was a kid. And um, I told her, just promise me the best she could not to forget them. And she told me she would. She would definitely try. And um, <coughs> that's one thing I learned. And that's one of the biggest things I wish I could change. When you lose somebody, the grief is so overwhelming. <coughs> and you lose yourself. <coughs> but if you have other children, other loved ones, other family members, even friends, anybody, and especially yourself, don't forget them. Don't forget you. Had I have continued to not do life and keep forgetting my family and my children and myself and my dad, I would have missed out on having the last Christmas with him. <clears throat> and I would have had to live with that. And if you are going through anything, my heart goes out to you. It's no joke. It's nothing to laugh about anybody to laugh at you on. It's not anything for anybody to judge you on. If people say things to you on you need to get over it or you're still grieving or you're on a pity party or whatever it may be, just know that they <laughs> they just don't know that level and pray for them. Because that's all you can do. And um, 988 is the suicide prevention line. Know your resources in your area. And I say this because I know your mental state of mind, it will come in spurts. It will come in waves. You will not always be strong. <clears throat> but when you have moments that you can get a breath of air, take advantage of that moment to try to find ways to save your life because this world is a better place with you in it and if all you did today was open your eyes I am very proud of you because I know all too well how that feels like I said I made myself sleep five days in a row so I wouldn't do something I didn't want to do. I didn't want to die. I just wanted the pain to stop. And the first time in my life, I want to live. There is hope. There is redirection. Don't give up. Remember to take a breath. 
just reach out if you are strong enough. But also, too, people out there that know somebody's going through something, don't be so judgmental. They can't always reach out. If they can't reach out, you reach in. And that's that's what we all need to do for each other. <clears throat> and honestly, it helped me get yourself a teddy bear. And if you need a teddy bear, let me know and I'll find a way to get you one. I have some. Uh, or if you have a child or something that's going through grief or loss of a loved one, um, they handle grief differently. If if adults don't know how to handle it, how do you expect a child to? So, um, just remember, grief doesn't know age boundaries. And um, kids are not equipped. And they should not deserve to have to save their loved one. But just don't forget them. <clears throat> and if you, like I always say, one thing in your life that you have that is more precious and you just can't get back, it's your time. And if you have given your time today to listen to me, thank you very much. And the whole bits of my heart, thank you. Because I know that as a part of your life, you will never get back. And you have taken the time to dedicate listening to me. And I very much appreciate that. And I pray that whatever you are going through, that you find a way to not self-mutilate not self-harm and remember to look at your reflection in the mirror and if you have to make a funny face tell yourself a joke make friends with your surviving personality because that personality needs to heal too because you are one and the same Again, I thank everybody for their time and their dedication, and I pray wholeheartedly for all of you, um, and I do. I, I pray um, before I go to bed every night, and I, I pray wholeheartedly for this world and people that are going through things. I don't need to know your story. Um, I don't need, unless you want me to know, I have no problem listening. I'm always... Um, I'm always an ear away or a message away. Um, I mean, honestly, I am. Uh, it has to work around my mom, <laughs> but um, I am. And, um, but please don't give up. The world is a better place with you in it. And your loved ones are happier with you here.
So on that note, I will let everybody go. And I look at this, I kept it under two hours. <laughs> An hour and 47 minutes, 48 minutes. <laughs> anyway, um, I hope this helps some people. I hope this helped you if you needed it. Um, and if you have any suggestions or any information, please, by all means, feel free to share. I was going to do a video podcast tonight, but um, the time delay on my video looked really funny. It reminded me of the times where you watch the old movies, the old kung fu movies, where they would talk, but then their mouths would not be with, coincided with their their words. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I didn't do it. <laughs> but anyway, I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> so this is what you get. Anyway, um, have a safe and blessed evening. And... Um, God bless you. Good night.